Welcome, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church. We are a Southern Baptist church dedicated to seeking the glory of God by proclaiming the gospel in all that we do. If you would like more information, please visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org. going to be moving around a bit this morning in scripture, but you can kind of keep your place there in John because we're going to come back and reference that several times as we're working our way through this morning. Okay, so John chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 1 through 12, and then I'm going to jump to chapter 4 and do verses 3 through 14. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said this to you. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. It is, it, so it is with the, everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can this, these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Then in chapter 4, verse 3, He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. Let's pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you uh, for these examples that we have from your word this morning. I just pray, Father, that you would enable me as I share uh, what you've taught me through these passages, that uh, it would be something that motivates and encourages us, Father, in the building of your kingdom, but also speaks to the hearts of those that are here today, maybe that don't know your son as personal Savior. So I pray, Father, for clarity of mind and thought, and that as I speak, it would have the impact of your Holy Spirit as we share here together. We just thank you and praise you and dedicate this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. In John chapter 3, Jesus encounters a Pharisee. We just looked at that. Uh, Nicodemus, we're not going to go into a lot of detail, but we'll just remind ourselves, he's a wealthy man. He's well-educated and well-respected. He attended religious services on a regular basis, and he felt that he knew God pretty well. Now, when Nicodemus met with Jesus, it was late at night and under the cover of darkness. In John chapter 4, Jesus encounters a nameless Samaritan woman. She's poor, a social outcast, has been through a series of failed marriages, and she's now involved in a sexually immoral situation. She does not attend religious services on a regular basis, but she seems to have a number of questions about God. When this woman meets with Jesus, it's in the middle of the day and in the brightest of sunshine. But both of these people have something in common. They needed to know Jesus Christ as personal Savior. And Jesus takes advantage of everyday opportunities to reach them with the truth of God's Word. Now we need to stop and take note here that neither one of these people would have encountered Jesus in a regular church service. When Jesus encountered these individuals, He needed to step into their lives and meet them where they were. And in doing so, I believe that set an example for us to follow. Many of you know that Dina and I are members of the Gideons International. That's a Christian business and professional men's organization who along with our wives who are members of the auxiliary serve in 200 countries, territories and possessions around the world. There's about 250,000 volunteer missionaries that serve in this ministry. Uh, Dina is in leadership in the ministry as am I. To give you an idea there are four ladies that are elected each year to lead the auxiliary portion of the ministry. And Dina is one of those four in the world that leads that portion. There are 24 Gideons, men who are elected every year to lead that portion of the ministry. And I am one of those 24 that are elected right now to lead. So we have taken on a level of responsibility that takes us away from the church quite a bit. And I just wanted to explain a little bit to you before I start talking about the Gideons International. So the singular objective of the Gideons International is to reach the lost for Jesus Christ. We do this through associating together for service, through personal testimony and personal work, and through the distribution of God's Word. Now the admonition that's found in Matthew 28:19 is for the church to go and make disciples, or better translated, for the church while you are going to make disciples. The desire of the Gideons International is to come alongside the church and to assist with this task of making disciples. Now my objective this morning is not to talk to you about what we do as Gideons. My objective today is to talk to you about what we should be doing as Christians. So let's look again at this passage in John chapter 3. We see that Nicodemus sought out Jesus because of his reputation. We see he called him Rabbi. And he also sought him out because of the things that he had seen or that he had heard that Jesus did. See here again it says, no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Well Nicodemus again was a well-educated man. 
He's called a teacher of Israel. But his learning has fill, is filled with traditions and misunderstandings of Scripture. His confusion was to the point that he could not understand basic teaching from Scripture because it violated his worldview. Jesus identifies the root of this misunderstanding and challenges Nicodemus with truth intended to shake his belief system. Notice Jesus does not take the time to explain to Nicodemus the fallacy of his beliefs. That could simply lead to an argument. But instead, Jesus focuses on the truth of the gospel. While this creates questions in Nicodemus' mind, it enables an interaction to take place that allows Nicodemus to ask his questions while also being given time to process the answers. The interaction that we see here with Jesus and Nicodemus gives us the impression that Nicodemus was probably moving closer and closer to a saving knowledge. But we see some indications of this in John chapter 7, a little bit farther down than the passage we're looking at today, but it's in verses 50 and 52 that says, Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, them being a member of the Pharisees, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? Now, while we don't have a clear indication here that Nicodemus was a believer at this point, we do see that there's an interesting response to that initial that initial contact that he had with Jesus, don't we? It left a positive impression such that he found that additional value could be found from hearing and learning from Jesus. Now in the end, Nicodemus seems to have become a believer. We find in a little bit farther down again, John 19 verses 39 through 42, that Nicodemus was one of the men who took Jesus' body after the crucifixion and prepared it for burial in the tomb. At this point, Nicodemus is no longer acting in the cover of darkness, is he? Now he's exposing himself in the public by aligning himself with Jesus. Adina was on a <coughs> flight from South Dakota back to Indiana after she'd done an auxiliary training for the Gideons. And she was on this flight in the Chicago to Evansville leg when she engaged a passenger in conversation. Now at one point in the conversation, she asked this young man if he believed in God. He said, well, that's an interesting question. He says, uh, I've recently left the beliefs of my parents. He then went on to explain that his parents had raised him as an atheist. And he was now thinking of himself as an agnostic. He shared that he had taken a Bible class in high school and that through this class he began to wonder if his parents had the wrong beliefs. Well, he said to Dina, did you know that some of that stuff in the Bible has actually been proven scientifically? So after additional conversation, Dina presented him with a Gideon Bible app card that explains how to load the Bible app onto your smart device. She encouraged him to read the Bible so that he could discern for himself what it was that he believed. He responded politely that he would do that. Well, Dina then went on to explain to him that she wasn't supposed to be on that flight. She was actually scheduled on a flight the preceding day, but that that flight had been from Sioux Falls to Chicago had been canceled more than 24 hours in advance due to forecasted thunderstorms in the Chicago area. She then went on to tell him, God had a better plan for me. God wanted me to give you a Bible. That made a serious impression on this young man, and he told her very sheepishly, you're probably right. As they passed each other while exiting the plane, he told Dina, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. This young man had an interest in the things of God. He had doubts about his parents' faith, atheism, and believed that at least some of the Bible was true. But what he needed 
to, with someone to answer his questions and to point him in the right direction. What he found was someone who at the moment seemed to demonstrate behavior that matched what he thought a Christian should be. While not knowing her very well, he trusted her reputation enough to open up to her with his questions about his faith. Over the years, Dina and I have been approached by several people with questions about the Bible, about Jesus, or about our faith in general. As we noted earlier, Nicodemus sought out Jesus because of his reputation. While Nicodemus may not have understood or even agreed with everything that Jesus said to him, he listened because he trusted that Jesus' reputation earned him the right to be heard. He even called Jesus rabbi or teacher as a sign of respect. So in Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus, we learn that we should always be prepared for opportunities to engage unbelievers in conversations that lead to spiritual discussions. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you. Looking again at John chapter 4 then, we see Jesus' encounter with this Samaritan woman. I believe that we're familiar with the context of the story, so I don't want to go into it in detail. But I just want to remind us that Samaritans were Jewish descendants mixed with exiles from other countries introduced into Israel after they were conquered by the Assyrians in, 170, or I'm sorry, in 721 B.C. Because they're not full-blooded Jews and because they mixed idol worship with their Jewish traditions, the Jews typically did not have any contact with the Samaritans. The woman is found at the well at an unusual time of day. This is about the sixth hour, which would be noon. This is the hottest part of the day, and most women would have come to the well earlier in the morning when it was cooler. Jesus meets with this woman as she comes to the well to draw water for her family. Jesus started the interaction at a level of social conversation, doesn't he? He asks for a drink, and she responds, how is it that you asked me for a drink? And Jesus quickly turned the conversation to a spiritual one. After the initial conversation about living water, Jesus brings into the discussion the fact that the woman's living with a man out of wedlock. While recognizing that Jesus is more than the average man, she says, I perceive that you're a prophet. Rather than responding to his statement of her marital status, she responds with an arguing question regarding the mountain that's appropriate for worship. Now, it's entirely possible that she was very much interested in which was the right mountain on which to worship. But I kind of doubt that at this point. It's much more likely that she was simply un uncomfortable addressing her sinfulness and was looking to redirect the discussion to avoid that question of morality. I was in a meeting with a pastor at McDonald's in Jasper <coughs> several years back. And that was one of the nice things about when I got to work in the local camp instead of being more in the uh, at leadership side of things in the Gideons, but in the local camp, I was able to meet with pastors a lot more often, be able to pray for them, pray for them about their families, their ministries, and things. But this particular morning, as the pastor and I were discussing there at McDonald's, there's a young man that overheard us, and he came up to talk to us. Uh, he said his name was Matt, said he was an atheist. He said that the Bible was all fairy tales, and that he did not believe any of it. He proceeded to bring up Old Testament law at random, and he asked us if we believed it. Well, when we would provide an answer that said in the positive, uh, he just wouldn't accept that at all. He'd get upset about it. 
And before we could even finish explaining, he would come up with another one, throw another uh, scripture, Old Testament scripture taken out of context in front of us there and said, well, what do you believe this one? He kept trying to demonstrate the errancy of Scripture, which of course he couldn't do. Well, each time we responded that we believed the statement to be true, and he would act shocked, and he'd start to walk away. And then he'd shake his head, and he'd come back, and he'd ask another question and throw it out at us. And he continued with this approach for several minutes. And any time we looked to ask him a question, he would deflect by pointing out another passage that he thought we would not agree with. Well, eventually he hit upon Deuteronomy 22, verses 28 through 29. If a man meets a virgin who is not betrothed and seizes her and lies with her and they are found, then the man who lay with her shall give to the father of the young woman 50 shekels of silver and she shall be his wife because he has violated her. He may not divorce her all of his days. And Matt said to me, do you believe that a woman should be forced to marry her rapist after he has paid her father money? Now at the time, I didn't have the benefit of Pastor Josh's teaching from Wednesday nights on this particular passage. But I did have an answer. I said to Matt, I believe that God may be trying to tell us that a sexual union between two people has more significance than society would have us to believe. This response threw Matt completely. He stood there stunned and dumbfounded. For the first time, he was unable to respond and seemed to be facing a, pres a premise that he had never considered before. After that, I told him that I met weekly with that particular pastor at that time, and he could come join us anytime for additional discussions. Well, he quietly left, and we never saw Matt again. Now, Matt's reaction is typical for most skeptics. They ask questions looking to deflect the conversation from anything that might serve to make them feel uncomfortable. We see this played out in the interaction between Jesus and the Samaritan woman when she spoke about the correct mountain on which to worship. Really it was more of a statement than it was a question. She was just trying to deflect away from what she was uncomfortable with. Well this similar discussion took place between Matt and I. At one point we delved into this idea of morality. And he didn't want to accept that morality was anything but subjective and abstract, and that each person should be free to determine what morality was to them. So I asked him if he owned a car. And then I asked him if he had car keys. I said, could I have them? Well, he wouldn't give them to me. Well, once he declined to hand me the keys, I said, uh, how about I just take your keys, I take your car, and I go ahead and take that as my possession now, because my moral Compass says that it's okay for me to take your car. What do you think of that? Well, obviously, he didn't accept that one at all. Uh, he rejected it completely. He wasn't about to give me his keys. Now, obviously, Matt was arguing that there should be a moral standard, wasn't he? But he was the one that wanted to determine what that standard was, and not only wanted to apply it to himself, but he wanted to apply it to me also. The real issue for Matt and for all unbelievers is that they do not want to admit that a moral standard exists because that would require them also to admit that they failed to meet that moral standard. In Jesus' interaction with the Samaritan woman, we learn that we should seek out opportunities to engage unbelievers in conversations that lead to spiritual discussions. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you.
Now you've heard me make that statement a couple of times now, and if you looked in the bulletin, you notice that that's actually the title of my presentation today. It comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Peter tells us that we should be ready to answer when people ask about our faith. It's interesting to note that this statement by Peter is made in the midst of an encouragement to those who are being persecuted. Now, if we should be prepared to offer defense to our persecutors, how much more should we be prepared to offer a reason for our faith to those that we engage in conversation on a daily or weekly basis? We also need to take note that the admonition here from Peter comes with a caution. It says, yet do it with gentleness and respect. That probably means don't say you're an idiot and end the conversation. <laughs> if you were in Sunday school, you'd understand that. <laughs> Where's, now I lost my notes. Not only, not only did we need to be prepared to defend our hope, we need to do so in a way that displays an attitude that we're willing to engage in a discussion that's non-confrontational and expresses love for the person to whom we're speaking. Now, why is this important? Well, I think the evangelist Dwight L. Moody said it best. He said, you may find hundreds of fault finders among professed Christians, but all their criticism will not lead one solitary soul to Christ. He went on to say, out of a hundred men, one will read the Bible, the other 99 will read the Christian. So how can we be ready to give a defense for the reason for the hope that's within us? How much preparation is required for us to be ready? And what steps should be taken for us to become prepared? Well, the first thing that we have to understand is we're never going to be fully ready. The examples that I've shared from John chapter 3 and 4 are interactions between Jesus and lost people. We can never expect to reach the point where we can give the same kind of an answer that Jesus did. And I would suggest that we're only deluding ourselves if we believe that we'll ever understand our faith well enough to explain everything. At the time when Matt the atheist asked me about that passage in Deuteronomy 22, I didn't know exactly what the passage meant, but I did know one thing. I knew why I believed that God intended that instruction for my good. In other words, I knew the reason for the hope within me. But we have an even more practical example for us right here in John chapter 4. So if you look at verses 28 and 29, we see that the woman, after talking with Jesus, immediately left him and her water jar and went into the town. And what does it say that she did? She began to share with the people of the town. Now, she didn't share some deep theological training that she had received from Jesus. She didn't even communicate the gospel in what we would call a clear, understandable method. But what does she share? She shares the reason for the hope that's within her. Didn't she do that? Look at it again. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? We also see here that what she shared had an impact on her listeners. We see there in verse 30 that based on this woman's confession, they went out of the town and were coming to see him or Jesus themselves. We see that her sharing of her faith resulted in others having the opportunity to meet Jesus for themselves. Down a little bit farther in the passage then, we see that what she shared also led to them having a saving belief in Jesus. Look again at verse 39. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him. But notice here what it says that helped lead them to their saving faith. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. 
Notice then how the cycle continues. It doesn't end there. Those who went to see him after hearing the woman encouraged Jesus to stay with them longer. In the two days that follow, verse 41 indicates that many more believed because of his word. So when we consider the question of how much work is required in order to be prepared to give the reason for the hope that's within us, we need to look at it in two parts. As we've already seen, we need to understand that no matter where we stand today, if we're a believer, if we have salvation by grace through faith in the sufficiency of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the payment of our sins penalty, then we're prepared enough to provide a reason for the hope that's within us. Let me repeat that. If we're a believer, if we have the salvation by grace through faith in the sufficiency of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the payment of our sins penalty, then we're ready to share the reason for the hope that's within us. Jesus even told his disciples, don't overthink what you want to say. In Luke 12, verses 11 through 12, Jesus told them, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. This same Holy Spirit is with us today, providing the words that we need to share with them. Now, while it's true that we should not be overly consumed with determining the words that we will share, it does not mean that we should not have some kind of preparation. We need to understand that every time we read the Bible, every time we attend a Sunday school class or worship service, every time we participate in a Bible study, we're preparing ourselves to be ready to give a reason for the hope that's within us. So while we're already prepared, we should also be constantly preparing. Now, that's interesting because that's exactly what Peter's saying in uh, chapter 3, verse 15. The words translated in the ESV, always being prepared, well, in the Greek, they literally, literally read, ready, always. The adjective, ready, is in the infinite imperative. It has the connotation that we should never stop getting ready because it's of the highest importance. And when we think about it, being ready to share our faith should be the most important thing that we do any time of any day. So preparing to give the reason for the hope that's within us should begin with daily preparation on our part. Reading God's Word and meditating on it. Spending time in prayer. Deepening our relationship with God. And strengthening the hope that's within us. Associating together with other Christians in men's or women's groups or discipleship groups. Expanding my understanding of Scripture by attending midweek services or Sunday school or through the personal study of Scripture. All of these activities add to our preparation to give the reason for the hope that's within us. Now earlier I spoke about the importance of having a reputation as a Christian and that it will lead people to want to speak to us about spiritual things. The process of preparation that I've talked about here should lead us to the point where we either see such a change or others see such a change or they see a life that's lived in such a way that it produces a reputation that reflects well on our Savior. Next we need to have an approachable spirit. Remember again what Peter said, when giving a reason we need to do it with gentleness and respect. Again we'll look at Paul to provide us some direction here as to what a strong Christian reputation 
should look like, and also an approachable spirit. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 3 through 10, put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, and genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We're treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Maintaining a proper reputation with an approachable attitude combined with praying daily for God to give us opportunities to engage with the lost will result in frequent conversations that allow us to share the reason for the hope that's within us. Now associating together for service and personal testimony are two aspects of the Gideon ministry that I think are often overlooked. When the Gideons International began in 1899, it was started by three traveling salesmen that knew how hard it was for a Christian reputation to be maintained in a carnal world. The Gideons International was founded on this concept that we should encourage each other to live a life worthy of our Savior and to be faithful to share the gospel with those that we encounter. This mutual accountability is not given credit that it should be given. As a Gideon, I'm challenged because I'm not normally the one who would seek out social interaction with other people. I'm challenged to share the gospel frequently because I'm held accountable by the men that I associate with for service, the men whom I pray with on a weekly basis at our prayer meetings, and the men I stand with on the street corners when we distribute God's Word. Penn Gillette is a comedian and magician. You may recognize that name as he's half of that team of Penn and Teller. Penn Gillette is also a known atheist. In 2010, Gillette was approached by a Gideon after one of his Las Vegas shows and was offered a Gideon pocket testament similar to this one. In a video blog recorded by Gillette after the encounter, he said that he respected the man for approaching him to proselytize, or that is to share his faith. He says in the video, if you believe that there's a heaven and hell, and that people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think it's not worth really telling them because it would make it socially awkward? How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible but not tell them that? And this from an atheist. So let's look at the most common reasons for not sharing our faith. Well, there's the fear of rejection. But in reality, who's being rejected here? Is it me or is it Christ? There's the fear of mocking, as if somehow my feelings were more important than their salvation. There's the lack of confidence. Well, that's a good thing, because now the Holy Spirit can do His work. I get out of the way. Or maybe I'm too busy, which tells me right off the bat that maybe my priorities are confused and I need to redirect my time. But these are really just excuses rather than true reasons why we don't share our faith. When we look at the real root cause, our unwillingness to share our faith comes down to just two reasons. Lack of concern for the lost 
and no appreciation for the gift of salvation that we received. Again, the Apostle Paul says it this way when he's talking about the loss that he encountered in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians 2.80 says, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. He says, Our love for you drove us to the point where we had no choice but to share the truth of the gospel. But to the Corinthians, he says it a bit differently. 1 Corinthians 9, 16 and 17, For necessity has laid upon me, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. Paul recognized that whether it be by love or by obligation for the grace that he had received, it was his duty to share the gospel with the lost. As Pendulette said, how much would you have to hate someone to not want to share the gospel? The Gideons International wants to be a true partner to our supporting churches in the building of the kingdom of God through the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We offer a number of opportunities to come alongside the church while fulfilling their assignment to make disciples. Now, we recently introduced in the United States uh, churches the opportunity to participate in a program that's called Conversations a simple approach to sharing the gospel. In this program, trained men will come into the church and offer a two and a half hour workshop on personal witnessing designed to offer practical ways of sharing our faith while increasing our confidence. We also offer a program to high school students called the Life Book. We offer either the Gospel of John or the Gospel of Mark in quantities to youth groups. The book is designed to be shared by the youth with other students in their schools, again teaching the importance of our need to share the gospel with the lost. Both the Conversations program and the Life Book are offered free of charge to churches. We also recently updated our Friends of the Gideons program. This program offers those interested in supporting the ministry, either through prayer or financially, more information about our work around the world and invitations to area events. Friends of the Gideons are also offered the opportunity to purchase for themselves pocket testaments that they can use while sharing their faith. Now, I've shared a little bit about some of the ways that the Gideon Auxiliary members share the gospel every day around the world. But I'd like to share with you a story that's a little bit more timely. Sergey and Lena are members of the Gideons International who live in Ukraine. This is a picture of them that was taken at our international convention last year in Orlando, Florida. Sergey and Lena and their family had the opportunity to flee Ukraine when the war started, but chose instead to stay and to work. Now remember, these are not full-time missionaries, but regular people living and working in the country that they love. This is an email they recently sent to our international headquarters. It says, Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, <clears throat> we are so grateful for your prayers and your spiritual support. We need it so much. People in Ukraine are in big need and fear right now that we as Christians strongly believe in God's protection and love. We as a family made the decision to stay at our home. It is God's answer to our prayers. We live not far from the epicenter. Lots of houses and other infrastructure are destroyed. In Ukraine, people from our church are leaving the country. Many families left the city, but we still have our prayer meeting every evening in our basement. And praise God, our neighbors are very open to hear the gospel. Eleven people from Kiev have found refuge in our home. 
we hear the air alarms very often. The walls of our house are shaking from the explosions, but we're grateful to our kind God for everything, for his love and his protection. Please continue to pray for us, our families, our nation. We're very grateful for you and send our warmest greeting from our country. God bless you abundantly. May God bless and protect you. <clears throat> One final point that I need to make concerning this sharing of the reason for the faith that's within us. Now, before I had just shared that story with you, the stories that I shared concerning Matt the atheist or Penn Jillette or the young man on the plane were conversations that did not end up in these individuals reciting a prayer or confessing their faith in Jesus Christ as personal Savior. Now, while our encounters can result in this conclusion, often they do not. Now, Sergei and Lena have been blessed to see four people profess their faith in Jesus Christ so far as a result of their sharing the gospel in their community during the war. Many times we feel that we are a failure because our interaction with the lost person does not result in me leading them to salvation. Again, we look to the wisdom of the Apostle Paul referring to his work of the sharing of the gospel. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his wages according to his labor. First, we see here we never know where we come in the process. Maybe we're assigned to plant the seed. Or maybe our assignment is simply to water the seed planted by someone else, like Dina would did with that young man on the plane. Still, other times we may be blessed to be the ones who witness the harvest. But no matter where we fall in this process, it's never truly us that leads anyone to salvation. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Our assignment is to be faithful, to give an answer for the hope that's within us, and let the Holy Spirit do everything else. But now we come to the crux of the issue, don't we? In order to share the reason for the hope that's within us, we must first have that hope. If you're here today and you've not trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to recognize that you are a sinner who will someday stand in judgment before holy God. There's no better day than today and no better time than now to recognize that forgiveness of sins comes only through faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary. Working together with Him, Him being Christ, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For He says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If you'd like to speak some more on this, please talk to me after the service. Talk to Pastor Josh. Talk to Pastor Ben. But certainly, let's get it taken care of today. But what about you, Christian? Where are you today? Are you the planter? Are you the waterer? Are you the harvester like Sergei and Lena? In the midst of our story in John 4 concerning the Samaritan woman, we find a conversation between Jesus and his disciples. They're encouraging him to eat some food and, that they had obtained while they were in town. He says to them that he had food to eat that they didn't know anything about. He went on to make this statement. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. 
Along this same line of thought, Jesus shared with these same disciples in Matthew 9, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers to his harvest. I ask the question again, Christian, where are you today? Are you the planter? Are you a waterer? Are you a harvester? These are the only options that I see. We need to commit today to do the work that God has called us to do, to be praying that others will join us in these efforts. And finally, I want to make one more appeal to you on behalf of the Gideons International. I would like to learn, if you would like to learn more about how you can engage with this ministry, please speak to Dean or I at any time, and we'll schedule a time where we can share more information with you. Men of True Vine Baptist Church, if you're a business owner, if you're a business leader, if you're a professional or you're retired from one of these categories, we want to share with you concerning membership of the Guineans International. Again, please speak with me and we can schedule a casual time to talk over coffee or possibly schedule a larger group presentation where we can share the work of the Gideons and the benefits of the Gideons International with you. Finally, we're not taking an offering today, but it's possible to give to the Gideons International so that scriptures can be purchased and placed somewhere around the world. The Gideons International have already provided 145,000 Ukrainian and Russian language testaments to the Gideons in Poland for distribution to refugees from Ukraine. If you'd like to learn more about opportunities to support the Gideons financially, again, speak with me after the service on this as well. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for these examples that we've seen. Uh, not just the examples of your son interacting uh, through your word, but also the examples of lost individuals that were encountered in society that needed to know your son as personal savior. Uh, Father, each one of us knows somebody like this. We, we come and contact them with on a daily basis. Maybe we work with them or maybe we even just pass them as we're, we're traveling to somewhere else. But you're putting people in our paths, Father. Give us hearts that are burdened with sharing the gospel with those that need to know your son as personal savior. I also pray today for any that are here at this service that have heard your word preached this morning and said, I don't have that hope. I pray right now, Father, that your spirit would come to them and convict them of their need to trust your son as personal savior. Father, we just thank you for your word. We ask that you would make it alive within us, motivate us, Father, to take time this week to share the gospel with someone that's lost. We just thank you and praise you in all this in Jesus name. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's Word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TrueVineIND, or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.